first, that would help. Okay. <clears throat> that, that would help. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. You're probably thinking, this is strange. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I've done a few um, sort of chats with people on, uh, not not particularly podcasts, but um, just, yeah, little bits with people on it. So I'm, I'm sort of sort of used to Zoom, the Zoom life now after nearly a year, but yeah, yeah it's, it's still strange. It is. It will be strange. All right, we'll start. Okay. <clears throat> Welcome to another conversation as part of the An Interview With series. Today, I'm joined by Sarah Evans, a key member of the England women hockey team and a keen lover of sport. And we'll find out which one. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Hi, good. Thanks. Yeah, yeah really thank good. You. See, we've relaxed already straight away, haven't we? I've got, <laughs> I've got to ask you, um, generally, we're, we're at the beginning of a, a new year. 2021 to, to market um how have you been generally um to be honest, it, i would lie if i you know if things hadn't been tough over the last year um obviously i was hoping to compete in an olympic games and um going through the emotions around the decision of that being um rearranged um i was potentially going to retire after those olympics as well so <clears throat> sort of changing the the goalposts in my head a little bit to go for another year but then completely agree with the decision that was made to postpone it with everything going on in the world and it's sort of one of those times where it's almost good to have that big perspective and to know that you know it was although we love sport so much there's so much more to life than hitting a hockey ball around a pitch and um trying to do as best you can for that so um it's been nice to spend time with family and to just reconnect um with friends and family and sort of enjoy the more simple things I think it's, it's been nice to just pause and reflect um so although there's been challenges I think it's um I've, I've been lucky and I've um yeah I've not had to endure what so many people have had to over the last year so I can't yeah can't complain can't complain like you you jump straight in in terms of um, I've made a note of it your retirement obviously the Olympics I want to get into that a little bit later on but before we kind of delve straight into the world of your 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 sporting professional career, um, was there a, a, another sport that you could have gone into other than hockey? Um, to be honest, I've I love all sports. Um, when I was younger, I wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to um, I wanted to do the one hundred meters, the hundred meters, and the re relay, and maybe long jump. Um, not ambitious at all um, but yeah I mean I think if not saying that I would have been any good at, at many other sports but I think hockey sort of just came around and I fell in love with it from sort of age 10 um, and I sort of threw myself into that but you know I love all sports I love watching all sports so um, I think it just happened circumstances that hockey was the one for me but if that hadn't happened I'm sure I would have tried to play as many other sports as, as possible and seen how far I could have got with those. I'm sure. You, you, you are a keen follower of a particular football team. <laughs> yeah. You must declare now. You must declare now. I'm a big Liverpool fan. And before anyone says, oh, you're from London, yeah, from Liverpool, you're just a glory supporter. I have been through <laughs> the dark days <laughs> pretty much since I was born we didn't win a, a single thing. I've not, well, obviously we have with the Champions League and, and obviously oh. the mighty dub, the treble, treble the, the, the proper treble. Oh, uh, okay. But no, uh, I'm, a, I'm a very big Liverpool fan. My whole family are. Um, so I am, yeah, enjoying the current success that we're having, especially since my husband is a, a big Man United fan. So it's nice how the tables have finally turned Ooh. and I have bragging rights in the Oh house. gosh, dinner time. <laughs> Must be tense, it just it, yeah. without COVID. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's, a, it's always a, a cause of uh, a lot of, I wouldn't say arguments, but uh, yeah, um, competitiveness within our household. So it's always fun. Uh, and your husband is, is as keen a sports lover and, and hockey player as yourself as well. Yeah, he is. He's a very good athlete he could have definitely uh gone further with athletics much further than I could have um but no he's sports mad as well I think 
we couldn't have been with other people if they weren't as sports keen as we are. I think it's a good match for each other and a sport pretty much takes up majority of our both of our lives. So it works well. That's good. And and normally on, on, on this series, I've talked to a, a number of individuals that have links to the world of football, you know, whether they've been players, managers, uh, female referees, etc. You know, you have obviously the connection in terms of love of football, but why I wanted to talk to you, one is about your international career, but two, there's so much been said about uh, the growth of women's football in terms of fan base, in terms of revenue, in terms of access, in terms of um, a diverse community, in terms of appeal. You know, I wanted to see what it was like for a, a, a female professional sports person like yourself. And what does, what does that mean to you when you look across the table and think, well, why are they getting all of the accolades? Why are they getting all of the finance? Why are they getting all of the newspaper columns? you know, front and back page, depending on whether you're up to date with Dubai Gate or not. We'll ask you a bit later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, with, with um, hockey, you know, it's a very niche, it's a very niche sport. It's not, it's not your average inner city sport. Um, do you see that as being an issue in terms of its appeal? Whereas women's football, football has that much more appeal. I think to us, hockey is actually one of the most widely played sports. Um, so, you know, lots of people do play it at schools, not as many as we want. And like you say, it's not, it's at certain schools and not in a city or, uh, you know, there's far more participation in um, private schools, which is something that I think we need to change. Um, but yeah, and, you know, hockey, I'm not envious in a, in any way of the, the women's footballers I think they need to have they deserve more media coverage I think football as a sport is is global and has that appeal and I think you know the, the women need to be respected as as much as the men are and, and need to be held in high as high regard um and you know they've gone through so much having been banned from FA for 50 odd years so, you know, they're fighting against so many things which have oppressed them for many, many years. And it's, it's great to see now that they are, in, that, you know, the game's uh, gone professional. Barclays have been uh, great with that for making the WSL professional. And they've gone from strength to strength, particularly in the last 10 or so years. So it's almost as a sportswoman, I, I like to see the fact that the coverage for women's sport, for women's football is growing. You see so many more female pundits on Sky Sports and um, all of the coverage for the matches so I like I I've never want to bring down any other women I think it's important that all women should you know support and empower each other and uh, the more women's sport coverage there is is the better I think hockey is a like you say it's more of a niche in terms of especially media coverage I think it's quite a hard game to follow if you don't know very much about it mm. um it's not particularly accessible in terms of for football you can just rock up to your local park and take some jumpers and a ball and you're good to go with a bait kind of thing whereas hockey you know your the surface that you play on is sort of dependent you can play down on a field in a grass but it's not going to necessarily be the same experience um you really do need some protective equipment um a gum shield and shin pads you know you need a stick which is not easy to come by or if it and if you can then the top range ones are particularly expensive so you know there's lots of challenges in terms of um getting people interested into the sport on a wider scale in terms of attracting media. The game is so fast that until we have real infrastructure around map sort of facilities where we can get real high quality camera work, um, which obviously has been a, a large cost, then you, the people watching are not going to be able to experience and understand the game that well if they've never seen it before, because you might not know what's going on and the ball's gone out of the picture and you don't know where you're supposed to be looking or understand why the whistle's just gone and what's this funny thing they're doing called a short corner. And, you know, it's not as basic to understand. Um, so I think there's definitely a lot of challenges, but, you know, lots of other countries in the world have proved that you can do it. Holland is a sort of the mecca of uh, hockey in the world. They Their infrastructure there is brilliant. Um, their game is professional um, for, at club level and it's really respected you could get um sticker you see you know, the panini sticker books that we yeah. have for the 
World Cup and everything with football, they have that in Holland for the hockey players for their national league, for their Premier League. Um, so, yeah, there definitely are ways of doing it. But I think for us as a nation, football is definitely the the nation's game, and all sports are going to be trying to compete with that. And I, I think we're a long, long way off that if we ever want to do that. But I think we're it's it's it, it is improving. Obviously, with the gold medal in Rio, um, there has we had um, 10,000 people come to our home World Cup in 2018 um, and we played at the Stoop. We laid a hockey pitch on top of the rugby pitch for the first time ever um, and that was supposed to go ahead again this year um, but obviously with the pandemic that got cancelled so we definitely are making strides forward and um, you know the hockey family as they call it is uh, full of amazing supporters so we have the fan base there I think from and everyone coming to watch the games it's just getting those media outlets to be able to to follow and like you say to make it more accessible and, and make it into all schools or at least people have the ability to be able to get into hockey if that is what they want to do you know I mean just listening to you talk in terms of you know your your experience in terms of, of, of playing in different countries and what you know of those countries and the Panini sticker book, obviously, that is a, a big pull in terms of envy. I can, I sensed it. Uh, you know, you're right that football is, you know, extremely popular and it's very easy to play. You don't need that much money to go and play football. Hockey, as I say, is niche. You need to have the right equipment. You need to have the stick, etc. What What is it that you think needs to be done from from a hockey from hockey's point of view? Um, to match up in terms of the, the the ease in which young people, boys, girls, from any background can can say, I want to I want to play hockey. I've watched you know women in England. I want to play hockey. I want that's what I want to do. I think it's it's hard to know exactly what it was because I think if if there was a an easy answer, then we should definitely be doing it by now. But I think there's it's in connecting schools to clubs because I think it's it's too hard to expect all schools to just be able to teach hockey like that because it's quite a specialist um, skill to be able to coach hockey um, and there's only so many schools that are going to be able to employ a hockey coach so I think it's being able to go into schools using government funding but being able to uh, so for example at Serbson Hockey Club where I play um, they've got a charity attached to them that goes into schools using government grants um, to send specialist hockey coaches into particularly primary schools, into, um, you know, more deprived areas or just in schools which wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to play hockey. Um, they go in, they go to, you know, do a six-week block of training for the kids uh, just in their PE lessons and just give the, the kids the opportunity to, to be able to fall in love with hockey. And then if that does happen and they really want to carry on playing it, then they can uh, get in touch with the local club. So sometimes that might be Serbiton, but if they've gone into, say, Southwark in London, where they do a lot of work, then they establish a club local to those schools so then those kids can actually attend the school, the club to be able to then take their specialist training further. I think it's that link between the clubs and the schools that needs to be improved and um, just being able to take down any barriers that there will be for kids of any background to to be able to um, to play hockey because that's you would never want anyone to feel that they don't have an opportunity to play a sport they they want and they could possibly enjoy. Yeah, I, I you know for me it sounds like there is some good work going on and definitely taking it into boroughs like you said with Southwark and, and linking those to those schools to to clubs and where they get access to um, specialist coaching is is fantastic. But you know I, I posed the question from from a football fan point of view, where I see how easy it is for young boys and girls to look at the television and say, I want to be like that person. You know, I want to be like that person because they may be on TV for, you know, an hour and they see that. With hockey, it's not necessarily the same. The, 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 the papers don't have the same column length width in terms of the words. And, and one thing that stood out for me, you know, during 2020 when there was talk about crowds not being accessible or getting access to the game and you know clubs not being able to survive without fans coming through the turnstiles none of this seemed to kind of go in the direction of ho hockey will survive right if fans don't turn up 
yeah, we don't often have too many fans when when there's uh, when it's full. Obviously, our international games do attract large crowds, and that's brilliant. Um, but you know, I play at Sebton, and we've won the league the last seven years in a row. And seven. you know, we could have we could have a a league a Premier League game and have a few hundred people there, and that would be a relatively good turnout. Um, you know, we do have games where we have hundreds of people there. You know, I think we had close to five hundred people, and um, but you know that is it would be unheard of for us to have any more than that. And um, there's times where you literally could have. Well, I've I've definitely played where it's been you know my mum and my dog on the sidelines. Um, so yeah, I think we're used to not, and and you know we go away and play in tournaments. And you could be playing an international tournament, and if you're you're not playing the host nation, um, then you know no one's going to be there watching. So you can play in a in a World Cup and have a pretty quiet crowd. So we're definitely used to to not having that, and I think I think the sport, like we said before, is is relatively middle class. I think potentially that's how it could survive because the infrastructures that there are, the clubs of, well, the clubs will definitely be struggling because of the pandemic. Um, you know, they won't have been able to have as many. Like Serbian, for example, runs the summer camps um, to give them a lot of income, and they won't have been able to get any of that um, this year with the pandemic. So. They definitely will be struggling, but I think you're right. They will all still survive, hopefully, um, because they do have that the base of uh, wealth coming in as a sport, as a general is, is does have that money. But I think the whole way down, and then we're obviously so lucky as internationals that we're funded by the government um, and UK sport. And so we're able to still, throughout this pandemic, have our dispensation to be able to still continue to train towards the Olympics. So we're extremely fortunate for that, but equally we are reliant upon the government funding the whole time. And it would be great to get to a point where we have spots. So it's amazing. We do have sponsors, but I think we're, we were still so heavily um, reliant upon that funding from the government. Whereas in countries like Holland, they generate so much more income from their sponsors and from their external sources that um, that they aren't as re- as reliant on that because it could come a new government come in and decide that they don't want to spend as much money on sport or hockey in particular might get loads of money cut and then you know we might not be able to be a fully funded program and centralized as we are at the moment so you know we sort of are always reliant upon that and we want to get to a point where we can be more self-sufficient um but then you're right I think it, it's a hard one because I think if success will then breed more success so obviously off the back of uh winning at Rio then we were able to get really good um crowds at the world cup but obviously then we didn't do as well at the world cup so there wasn't that momentum building and your the, the pages and the newspapers aren't going to be full because there's not as much to talk about in terms of internationally if we're not succeeding on an international scale then we're not going to then take over space in the newspaper column over a football game that's gone on or rugby fixture that's happened so but obviously when we do do well then then that is in the paper. So it's up to the international team to still be succeeding on a global scale so that we deserve the um, the right to, to be in the newspapers. But then obviously our nationally, our club system is so much further away and you know that would never even be thought, dreamt of to be in a national newspaper. Um, even though with us at Serbiton, we were unbeaten beaten for 55 plus games in a row. And, you know, that wasn't, ever talked about but in terms of a sporting achievement I mean I don't know how long it was Arsenal were undefeated for but I'm pretty sure it, it wasn't as much as that no well yes I'm sure Arsenal fans will probably quibble in terms of length <laughs> in terms of how long they, they were unbeaten but you know you, you you clearly illustrate in terms of the success that you know hockey teams have men women have and the disparity between the love that the nation had for one particular sport and the ability for the other sport to survive um, in hard times without fans coming in and still have the a positive outlook with regards to what they want to achieve but also there is a narrative which says that you know we will weather the storm regardless of what's going on and we'll still come out at the other end and it's not necessarily the same kind of conversation you hear with football fans and what you hear on the radio about particular clubs who have been going around for decades there's this need for you know you know, feet on the ground, individuals going through the turnstiles to to, to ensure that the, the clubs succeed. And it, for me, it kind of made me beg a question in terms of how was this different? 
you know, for such sports where you can talk about the Olympics, you can talk about, you know, the Commonwealth Games and football, who, who you know, footballers' teams are in the newspapers all the time, you know, whether it's talking about Champions League, FA Cup, whatever cup, European, UEFA, Europa. And if anything doesn't go to plan, it's almost like, you know, the ship's got holes in it and it's starting to sink. So I wanted to get it from your point of view, how it was for you. And did you look across in terms of the pundits, plaudits for those? You probably don't even think they're as skillful as you because they don't even have to operate an, a piece of wood, let's be, <laughs> <laughs> and feet. Um, but no, it, it, it is really interesting to, to kind of get that from you. I want to come back to it though. Um, with regards to your playing career, you, you know, you mentioned about being playing for Surbiton. You don't just play for Surbiton. You, you are the captain of Surbiton, am I correct? Yes, yeah, right. I am. It's my childhood club and I'm, yeah, very proud to be able to captain and to still be there playing. So you're kind of like the female Stevie G of hockey, is that it? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll take it, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you will. No, um, I mean, look, seven, seven seasons, you know, in terms of, titles for your team you've had a very good career with England you, you probably if you were to look back at your career and think even all of the success that you've had do you have any regrets or kind of I wish that to happen or I wish I'd have been able to do this do you have any of those moments that you kind of revisit um definitely not in terms of I'm a strong believer in everything happens for a reason and I have don't get me wrong my career has been pretty much a roller coaster um, you know, firstly, Serbson is. Um, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today without Serbson, um, both from teaching me how to play hockey in the first place and the skills that I learned from a young age to then when I made it into the um, senior England and GB squads. Um, when times are really tough, that was the place where I found my confidence again and I remembered why I play in terms of just having fun and being able to play with your friends. Um, so then when I was in you know doing what I've been doing being a full-time hockey player for the last eight years now you know there's times when you get selected so there's a, roughly 30 of us at any time that will be training full-time but only 18 players can get selected for a tournament so um, you know, there's a lot of players that are left um, heartbroken really every time there's a selection for a tournament because everyone works as hard as they can to be able to pull on that England or GB shirt and, and go out with the rest of the team and, and play to the best of our ability to win a gold medal. Um, so there was many times in the build-up to the Rio Olympics where I wasn't selected and yeah, it was pretty low um, and I definitely needed all the support from people around me. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just the life of a, of a sports person, I think. And um yeah, um, definitely up to now. Sorry, I've forgotten what uh, the main well, no, part just, I'm rambling uh, on then about. I, no, I think, I, I think from, from what, what I get from you is in terms of, of, of there are moments that you found difficult. Sorry, regrets. You, yeah, re that was re it. Re regrets. And I, you mentioned something in terms of, the, you know, when you broke in to, to, to the, the team the first time, not Surbiton, but to the, the, the England team, you know, what was it like for you to feel, how did you feel about that the first time, but also... There were periods after that where you weren't selected. So what was the, the, the difference between those type, types of experiences and, and how did you kind of, you know, come back from those yeah. disappointments? To be honest, I was very fortunate in terms of my journey into the senior team was relatively straightforward. I mean, I, I didn't get selected for my South Under-15 team, so it was like one of the first rungs on the ladder I, um, I missed out on. And that definitely helped shape me, I think, a bit because... I had had this dream that, you know, I was going to be really good at hockey and go to Olympic Games and to not be able to get picked for my region was obviously a big setback early on. But from that setback, I was selected for every other team in every age group on the way through and captained a lot of my team. So I had a, everything sort of had always fallen into place for me. And then after university, I got um, selected to, to make the step up to play in the senior team. And Again, I got selected for the first two tournaments that um, we played in. So I was a relative youngster being able to play for GB. And it was, you know, everything that I hoped for in terms of the pride to be able to pull on my shirt, uh, England shirt, and 
represent my country and you know I was so proud to be able to do that but then relatively quickly that all turned and the third tournament that there was uh, so still within the first year of me being in the uh, senior setup I wasn't selected and I think that first disappointment of not being selected sort of sent me into a little bit of a downward spiral because I hadn't experienced that real low of not being selected and essentially someone telling you you're not good enough um and again like you say going back to the thing with the regrets I don't regret ever anything that I've done with it within my sporting career because you know that's also life you're not going to get everything your way and I was very very fortunate to get to that point having had things pretty much go my way in the way in which I wanted them to so get me wrong I worked extremely hard to be able to get to that point but it's the in those darknesses in those perceived failures I don't really like necessarily like the term failure because something I'd set my target and my goal to be able to represent my country and go to as many tournaments that I I can I want to get picked for everything that I can but so by me not reaching that goal it doesn't mean that I've failed it just means you have to reset where you are currently because it was then just turning your mind to okay well what do I need to do to get selected next time and within all of those setbacks and uh, non-selections that's when you actually have to look at yourself and really understand who you are what what you're made of what are you are you just going to lie down and and quit and that's it you've had a setback but actually you need to move forward but it was don't get me wrong that sounds really easy just saying that but and at that time I was real low on confidence um and sort of believing that doubting myself and not believing that I was good enough to be there um so then almost when you have those thoughts that's just you're never going to get out of it if you if you don't believe in yourself then other people aren't necessarily going to believe in you so um no I I don't regret any anything that's happened throughout my career and I think I've learned a lot and I've I, I think I've become a better hockey player and hopefully a better person because of all the the setbacks I've had along the way especially not getting selected for the Rio Olympics um it sort of showed me just how much I do want to go to Olympic Games reinforce that not that I didn't know it beforehand but you have to I think it's also great to know that there's a bigger picture I mean I was absolutely devastated each time I didn't get selected for anything but but I was so fortunate to be able to have an incredible support system around me uh, family and friends that were there and you know support my goals that I want to achieve but equally I think it's really important to have stuff going on outside of sport so that you don't pin all of your happiness on achieving a specific goal for that it has to be the here and now and the journey and everything you do leading into that goal because once you achieve it if you're pinning your happiness on that one thing then what happens when you get there what is that is that it is that where your life's supposed to end is that where you you know pin happiness on so um I think I learned so much in those times that were perceived failures uh, if you want so um I wouldn't change it all each everyone's path and journey is shapes them and helps them to be where they are today so um yeah definitely uh it was a hard road but I wouldn't change any of it that's good we won't call them failures we'll call them learn learning lounges just pit stops no. learning lounge yeah um you know you said you needed something outside of your professional sport to fixate on or to have um, what would that have been for you so I think I think for a while I didn't really have anything and you know it's it is so full-on being a professional sports person everything you do is around training recovery um, and sometimes on those recovery days you are just so tired that all you want to do is sit on the sofa and watch tv um, and I don't get me wrong I did that for quite a while but um, so for me I think having a, a greater purpose and wanting to do something bigger um, so trying to improve hockey and trying to get it to a place where everyone has opportunity to um to succeed uh, I mean I have also done things not as big as that I've done a, a dog behavior course um I we yeah I've um we've got an amazing um performance lifestyle advisor so we're very lucky in hockey that we get we don't get paid particularly much but we we're very resource rich so um you know we have the best nutritionist sports science team um, coaches um, but and also part of our that, that support team is a performance lifestyle so she helps 
she might help you with um when you transition onto the program or if you're trying to have a dual career so lots of the girls a couple of the girls are also accountants so they've been doing their sort of accountancy exams alongside us um playing and she helps you manage all of that and if you're at university as well as playing she helps sort of talk to your um lecturers and things like that and sort of just is your a bit of a guru for everything outside of on the pitch stuff um so she's been amazing and I have been doing a course to also try and um, learn some of her skills uh, sort of a bit of coaching and mentoring so that's kept me busy as well but um, to be honest this year in particular with um, everything that was going on in the world um, in particular that lives matter movement and um, I guess just highlighting the way in which we've been living and been you know I wouldn't say blinded because I don't think I was blinded but more it has yeah heightened the awareness of need for change and the fact that actually you know me being someone who's not racist isn't good enough and actually I need to do more to be able to um, amplify opinions and causes and actions um, and I think yeah I've definitely want to be able to do that more um and to be able to you know starting with hockey being able to make it far more accessible and being able to like you said with, with hockey not being in the media to say you know I can't I want to be that I want to see that and you know the fact that our both um men's and women's playing groups are not diverse that you know we want everyone no matter who they are what they look like to be able to see someone that looks like them to say they can do it so I can do it and give them that you can't see it you can't be it yeah so um I definitely have been sort of moved to to try to do more um so that will definitely be something the moment alongside outside of playing hockey that will be taking up a lot of my um time and and empowering me and giving me energy then to be able to actually play better I think if you have stuff going on outside yeah. it enables you to switch off a bit and then when you do focus on hockey you, you can then be fully focused but doing all that kind of stuff I don't know for me anyway gives me energy and then um, I don't think it ever would distract from your playing coach often people say um, why are you concerned with stuff you need to just be focusing on hockey whereas I, I pretty much disagree with that <laughs> yeah well you know you, you've touched on an area that I wanted to ask you about anyway but you've you've kind of sorry I've gone ahead <laughs> no 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 it's great um you talk about what you want to do, how you want to change hockey and, you know, you need to see it, you need to, you know, to be, you need to see it. How, you, how would you, I mean, not apart from the world of hockey, but how would you go about that directly? What would you do as, an, as, a, as a hockey player? What would you say to, this is what I can do? Um, well, to start with, we've um, there's a few of us that feel very passionate about it, and we've set up a sort of working group and um, getting our heads together to think about what we can do. Um, we've got we've had a few speakers come in to, to the squad, so I think the the first thing to do is education um, and just being able. I think there's been a lot of unconscious bias um, throughout society, and I think it's people is still relatively easy to hide and not face it if it doesn't affect you then it's easy to just carry on with the status quo for for lots of people so I think um especially as a GB squad we want to be educated and um change the way that potentially or just be aware of biases that potentially people might have and hope to change that um so we've done a few um online workshops with people coming in speaking to us and sharing experiences which I think has been really powerful as a squad um, so we all, we want to start with us to start with. We can't, you know, be going out and trying to tell everyone else to change if we haven't looked at ourselves first. Um, but then we're also working quite closely with our um, with the organisation itself as as England Hockey to say, you know, what are we doing as an organisation to be to be better? Um, so whether that's also our you know our social media engagement, but also just systemic um, fabric within the organisation in terms of how many coaches are there that are diverse what's what's the office you walk into the office and how, how diverse is that um and just being really aware of how we've been how we have been operating for so long and putting in what what changes can we make um so 
yeah and the ceo nick pink has been really on board with with talking about that and making uh, looking at what changes that we can make in the future um and then also we we're really um keen as a squad to be able to go out so we have to do so many sort of athlete appearances a year um and lots of those come in they're sort of requests from the public and they they come into the office and then it gets sort of sent out like can x and y do this appearance and often they will be from the same places that always play hockey because they want to have an England player come to to do deliver one of their sessions and that's just reinforcing the same cycle of people who are interested in hockey whereas we want to go out there and go to places where um, they don't play hockey and do taster sessions and just try and inspire the kids from potentially lower economic backgrounds um, so we're hopefully going to have that set up with a charity partner and um, be able to do sort of small group sessions, but each from the squad to go out into sort of multi-sport backgrounds, um, so places where they do all sorts of sport and we can go in and deliver a hockey session and just help give kids the opportunity to get into hockey if they want to. Um, and then be able to, like I said before, hopefully direct them in, a, in the way of a club or have them steps that they can follow to be able to carry on playing if they are really interested so um, we're obviously in very early days as a squad for doing that but it's definitely something that's high up on our radar and we want to be able to use our platform as players to um, start to make change and encourage people who have make all the decisions to sort of take note of what decisions they are making and seeing if they can um, yeah make others that would actually move forward in this direction as well. Yeah, do you know something? I'm, you know, I, I like what I, I hear and um, what you plan to do. And my background is in education, and I know that most teachers, you know, when it comes to PE and anything else, they've been asked to deliver a lesson that they've never really trained for, unless you're a PE teacher. Let's be frank. Um, and hockey or a particular sport might be on the syllabus and whatever it's so at one point it was gymnastics for me which really did me and you can imagine me <laughs> trying to do that um but but what i in terms of i'm going to use football again as, as the comparison you know some schools used you know posters of sports stars reading a book saying it was important to read you know you'd have pictures of say real ferdinand and god reading is cool so they wanted boys to to read books and everything else you know, from a hockey point of view, you know, for me, just saying, I'm just looking at thinking, I don't ever recall seeing anyone from the hockey world in terms of imagery in a school or a message or even, and I'm just suggesting this to you. I know this is your interview, but I'm just throwing it in there. Um, yeah, I'll take on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just actually saying, I'm going to read a book to children and record it. it. Just, it could be the smallest book and say, so-and-so's reading and they're from England women's hockey team and it, th just that alone would pique the interest as who where, where they from you know because it would be someone else that they've never heard of reading to them and it's the simple things um so that's my two pence for the world of hockey thank you Great. very much I'll just <laughs> thank you. Name, name check um <laughs> uh, you know in terms of you know trying to look at the world and make it slightly more balanced in a way that organizations are diverse I know that the hockey, um, England hockey, have got it, it stick it stick it to racism commitment. Um, yeah. And 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 is this kind of what you mentioned with regards to what you were doing? Is this something totally separate? No. So that yeah was we came up with um, that sort of campaign as a squad um, because we wanted a we yeah we wanted to show a stance and show our support for making sure that you know we do not agreed any form of discrimination uh, within our sport but in society as a whole and we thought going out to so we had our first international matches in Holland and Belgium um, in October this, uh, of 2020 and um, we wanted to make it clear that we stand with the Black Lives Matter movement and wanted to but put, put our own sort of spin on it as a squad and as a an organisation and um, say that you know hockey is um, against racism um so yeah that was it was something to us that actually brought the squad to together and and really helped to bring everybody onto the same page in terms of what we wanted to do um and what we stand for as a squad um so yeah we've um 
we're going to have that as a logo on our um, on our shirts and stickers on our sticks, which hopefully then we can start that and have it as a campaign to be to go out across all hockey. So hopefully we'll be able to see players from all different clubs being able to show their support for that and have it as a nationwide um, campaign and show of solidarity um, to be able to make sure that yeah racism isn't prevalent within hockey as as a first step, but then obviously through society as well. Okay, that's good. Well, I, you know, I'm I'm impressed. Uh, you should be pleased, definitely. Uh, obviously, trying to make the hockey world or or, or change it in, in in best way you can. Uh, very interested indeed. There's a couple of things that I, I want to ask you. Um, in terms of your aspirations, we, right at the beginning, you talked about retirement. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. end of the career. Not many people start to think of retirement in the, how old are you? In your late 20s, 30s? Yeah, I'm, I'll be 30 this year. See, this, this is a strange, <laughs> strange anomaly. People say, I'm going to retire at 30. You, you're just changing career. Let's just, yeah. Let's remove the word, let's remove the R word. Okay. Unless it's Rodney. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you still have the goal of, of going to another major international tournament. Once you've completed that, are you looking to change career? Are you looking to step away seriously? And what would that mean for you? I can't say for sure because I want to be able to know how I feel in the moment. I'd never want to say, right, I'm definitely retiring. Sorry, uh, changing career after, no. um, after the Olympics. Um, also, I, I don't, we don't know the outcome. I might not get selected. I mean, I, I, I hope crossed. I do, and Fingers I will, I will, I'll be trying my hardest to be able to be out there with the team. But you never know what could happen. I mean, I thought we'd be going last yeah. year, but the pandemic happened. Um, so hopefully, the Olympics still go ahead. Um, and I think I, I, I know I'm definitely at the end. I'm in the last um, stage of my career, definitely. Um, I find it, I've, I've done it quite well. I know lots of people do it for a lot longer than I have, um, if they're lucky and they're amazing players have. But I think I'm just at the point in my life where the, t when the time we spend away and it is your whole life. Um, and I've gone through quite a lot with it. And um, yeah, just the thought of being away from friends and family at home all the time, um, definitely isn't as enjoyable as it as it used to be not not just being away from friends but obviously those trips abroad were always used to be amazing you used to really enjoy traveling the world and yeah that is um isn't as as amazing as it used to be um and priorities change but yeah so I, I'm definitely considering it and um I think it's important for any athlete to be able to actually think about what they would want to do after they step away from the sport um, because I think so many athletes suffer with mental health problems after they do step away because they have been so focused on that one thing for such a long time and don't get me wrong you you sort of have to be as a as a professional sports person you want to be so engrossed in it because you want to succeed and you want to uh, be the best athlete that you can but I think it's really important and it's sort of studies have shown that actually the people that prepare slightly earlier and have a even if they not, might not know what they want to do exactly but at least if they started to understand themselves and have an identity outside of just being the sports player then that can help with that transition out of sport and um yeah it's definitely something that I've been aware of and I've tried to think about um so whenever that time comes if it is after the Olympics um then yeah I'll hopefully be able to um to do it in a way that I feel comfortable and that I don't feel there's a huge hole left in my life uh, that was once was playing uh, hockey for my country. So um, yeah, it'll be an interesting time, but one that um, hopefully will be pre better prepared for. <laughs> when you say change of career, careful not to use the R word, are we talking just about international hockey, not club hockey? Yeah, I think I would still carry on playing for Thurbton, um for as long as I could or wanted to. Um, yeah, that's always been 
sort of a really enjoyable part of my life and something that is a lot less time commitment um and you can sort of just really enjoy and um play with not as much pressure and expectation I guess um although I'm sure there'll be just more different like different pressures and expectations will come when that is um the sole bit of pocket that I'll have but um no it I think the stresses and pressures of being a professional athlete in a elite sport environment where every everything you do is either going to help or hinder you get selected for the next tournament um I think that puts a lot of strain on you um and your lifestyle so um no I definitely would want to carry on playing for subs and um for who knows a few years after I was to step away from playing internationally um as long as whatever career I choose next would be able to uh, help facilitate that. Now, hockey journalist, it sounds like. Um... <laughs> How, like we said, not many media outlets would be taking on too many hockey journalists. Oh, um, gosh. I can imagine. But no, I did actually want to, I looked at, obviously, we with our performance lifestyle, you try and do lots of work experience, you want to get experience. Um, whilst you're playing and I did really I was I was nearly going to do a journalist master's before I got into the senior team as well and it was always a an option but then I realized that you'd have to be working when all the sport was taking place and I was like well I just want to sit and enjoy the sport (laughs) (laughs) not the same not the same um you know obviously we've just entered into a new year like I've said and in in the world of football there's been a, a the Dubai gate I'll call it that you might have seen it. There's been a lot of chatter around football players returning from Dubai after holiday, Christmas, um, New Year's, etc. Teams unable to field, um, well, clubs unable to field a team so that fixtures are now, you know, rescheduled or cancelled. As a hockey player, you know, were you? restricted in any way from traveling abroad considering the restrictions i mean we were we all adhered to government guidelines and um were told by our governing body to just be very conservative in our approaches around lifestyle outside of you know we're, we've got strict protocols that will happen whilst when we're um on camp and we're really lucky we've got dispensation that we can travel to training and to be able to carry on uh, training full-time whilst the country's in lockdown. So uh, we're very aware and um, feel very fortunate to be able to carry on with our day jobs when many people can't. And, um, you know, my husband's a teacher and he's um, he's in our kitchen teaching his um, math lessons over Zoom. So um, we're all very aware how fortunate we are and we wouldn't want to do anything to jeopardise that. So, you know, we... Christmas was definitely a time to be able to take a step away from our training ground and be able to be with your family if that was what you could do in terms of where you're living um, at the time Um, but you know everyone was very cautious and conservative with um, what decisions they would be making over that period and knowing that we've got an extremely big six months ahead um, and everyone was training unbelievably hard to be able to put themselves into a, a good place in January and everyone resumed to training. So, um, no, I, with regards to football, I think it's hard. I know there's a lot of cases going around football at the moment and um, they sort of reflect the cases in, that are going around nationally. And, you know, they're, they're training and playing against oppositions so regularly. We're lucky that, you know, we're very contained in terms of... Um, our own training facility and it's just us coming in and out of that so we're very low risk to be able to um, infect and catch anything so um, we've been very fortunate with that whereas I think hockey uh, football is just on a different level to us Um, they obviously they get tested far more but they're traveling far far more we're not really we aren't really traveling so I think they're a completely different comparison to what we've been doing and but you know we would always all want to do everything to the best of our ability to be able to stay healthy and fit to train, really. Yeah, I wouldn't ask you to comment, you know, in terms of specifics, but I just thought it was, you know, considering the conversations that have been flying around in the media on on social media, and we're only week two into a new year, how a major sport, which everyone loves, can cause so much distress and, uh, let's just say, anger. And uh, I've 
to get it from a professional like yourself in terms of what you would look at from the outside, how you would have regarded it would be interesting. But as you say, you know, as a, as a hockey player, you were given um, a very strong and coded direction as to be conservative with your approach. And uh, if you don't understand what that means, then I'm, I'd be surprised. So um, maybe that should have gone out from the FA generally to all footballers just to be conservative. Uh, maybe they could have followed the conservative government's rule as to not travel if you were in tier three or four, but uh, I'll do that on a separate little conversation. Uh, <laughs> last question from me, right, for you. And this is one that um, I had to get help from my partner in crime. She, she came up with this one. In terms of your professional career, what is the question you never get asked? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Don't know. Go on. I mean, either, no, I'm just generally in terms of you, you, you do interviews and some of the interviews may be so formulaic, you know the questions come in before it's been asked. And you just think, why don't they ask me about this? Why didn't they talk about that? You know, is there anything that I have not asked you that you would think, you know what? I really wanted to share something about this. To be honest, I think if, it, if you'd asked me that a year ago, it would have been very different. Um, but I think before this year, when I think people have actually been able to take in a bit more of the world and understand, stop and reflect and to really understand what's going around us, then um, I think the things that we've spoken about in terms of um, being aware of the barriers that exist in our sport and um, being able to make hockey and sport in particular uh, more diverse and and I think then also talking about athletes being able to talk about what's going on for them outside of their lives and actually be more than just a, an athlete and actually having um, a life outside of that is actually a good thing could be a good thing actually help their performance but uh, obviously we've spoken quite a bit about that so you've uh, asked the questions that maybe others wouldn't have um, but maybe that's just the way that the agenda is changing a little bit and hopefully people are being able to talk a bit more about themselves as people and not just what's going on for that sport actually how do they feel about certain things and and talking about the the bad the sort of down times and everything's not all great and successful and brilliant you want to be a sports person and what you know what can you teach other people about that but actually yeah who who are you as a person and what do you stand for and who do you want to be in the future and not just yeah I guess more um surface level things of um you know what what is your highlight of uh of playing and uh all those kind of things that you often get asked well I didn't ask that <laughs> exactly you ask the questions that don't normally get asked that's why it's so that. interesting that's good well I'd say thank you Sarah for giving us your insight into hockey what it's like and, and what you are doing and hockey's doing to try and change things and, and your vision and uh, and your possible change of career <laughs> yes thank you very much it's uh, been very enjoyable okay brilliant that was Sarah Evans key member of the England women's hockey team and a keen sports lover. Uh, that's it from me. I'm Rodney Cyrus, and I'll see you all very soon. Bye for now.